Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Random Heathen Ramblings podcast, where we discuss all sorts of things Germanic heathenry related. My name is Jesse. I am your host. Let's get into it. Alright everyone, hail and welcome back to another episode of the Random Heathen Ramblings podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and our guest today here, who I'll be introducing and bringing on uh, here in just a moment. Um, but before we get into our guest for today and the topic of today's episode, I do just want to uh, remind everybody that while you're here, if you haven't yet, please follow me on all my socials, follow the podcast. Um, of course, there's no real social media for the podcast per se. Um there's the Midgard Musings Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can subscribe to me on YouTube as you know Midgard Musings, of course. Uh, follow me on your podcast streaming platform of choice on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio. Um, the list goes on and on. Um, so wherever it is that you're capturing your podcast, please be sure to uh, give me a follow, give me a like, subscribe, you know, the whole bit. Um, hope you're all doing well. Hope you guys are enjoying this oppressive heat if you if you're the summer type person um like my sister she is a she is a lover of the summer and um but i am not and so if you're that you know i hope i hope that all of this hot weather that we're getting is is something that you're able to enjoy um but yeah we've got um a really cool guest lined up for us today um i've been sharing about this and he's actually been sharing it on his social media uh, Facebook mainly and YouTube. So um, he is a doctor of all things and a doctor of Germanic linguistics. So I'm going to be bringing in here in just a moment, Dr. Scott Shell. Um, you might recognize him from his YouTube channel, Germanic, uh, Germanic Heathenry, um, an academic kind of channel where he goes over the linguistic side of things, mainly uh, Germanic languages like Old Saxon, um, Old High German, proto, some Proto-Germanic stuff. Um, but he is not, uh, not just an academic um, in, in heathenry. He is a practicing heathen. He is someone who uh, we're going to be finding out today is... Um, a Saxon heathen, you know, his, his, his angle of heathenry is, is the, the lower continental European uh, version of, of, of heathenry. Whereas some other folks that you're um, that I've had, that I've had on the show um, take a more of a Scandinavian approach, which is kind of where the, you know, the, 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 the Southern Germanic tribes and stuff, they all moved North eventually. So that's where we see uh, things happening in, uh, in the far north, um, but Scott is is a Germanic heathen of the Saxon variety. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to get him on here and talk a bit about the linguistic side of things. We want to really get into some of Scott's thoughts on the pros and cons. Pros meaning like the not the pros as in the prosetta, but that's a kind of a neat uh, play on words there. Um, but the pros and cons of academic heathenry in modern times, you know, and how um, we might need to consider things that we know of from the past and how it kind of shapes 
things going on here um, in the future, or not in the future, but here in the present. So looking forward to it. It's going to be fun, I think. It's going to be an exciting, exciting episode. Um, so we're going to be bringing him on here in just a moment, waiting for him to um, join our our stream, or not our stream, but our uh, our platform here. So um, yeah, we got a filibuster. If you guys remember me saying that on some of the shows, that's when we got to fill in the blanks. We got to fill in the spots. Um, and, you know, really just, uh, just have fun with it. Um, so while we're waiting for him to come in and, uh, talk a bit, um, I guess we'll just take a short commercial break. We'll, uh, hear a word from our, uh, our sponsors, um, so let's welcome in Scott Shell, Dr. Scott Shell, um, Germanic heathen, and also a uh, doctor of Germanic linguistics. So let's welcome him into the show now. Hey, Jesse, All right. how are you? Hey, hey, welcome to the show, Scott. I'm good. How are Thank you, sir? You. Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, definitely. Thanks for having the time to, to come on here and, and speak with us today. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great platform to speak on too. You know, I know your, your channel, I really appreciate the content that you're pushing out. Thank um, you. you could also, including everyone else can just call me Scott. I've sort of left that doctor title at the door. Um, I'll, okay. I'll sell it to anybody for five bucks. Actually, <laughs> it's, that's how I feel about academia right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> at least in my field. Really? Um, Oh yeah, definitely. So you think you think the doctor thing just kind of carries a bit more of a pretentious air about it, and and people might think one way or the other. Well, it, it does it? for some people. I mean, not for everybody. Of course, I don't. You know, I I, I yeah. don't. There. Oh my God, I've met so many people who are in my field, of course, who are pretentious. But of course, I've also I've met a couple people here and there who aren't so pretentious. Um, I've never really. But that's not really what I'm saying. It's just that I. Um, although my history is in academia, um, I've worked in academia. I'm working at a university right now, but I'm not actually working as an academic. And mm -hmm. the reason why is because um, there aren't very many jobs for us out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, but I don't want to deal with um, a lot of the politics and whatnot. And that's kind of like why I'm here too, right? To talk about yeah. the, the academic stuff versus the the practitioner. Yeah. And um it's nice. So I work at a university. I'm just doing administration work. Um, I still do publications. So I'm still an active academic. It's just that I don't work in academia. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that being said, uh, I'm just, I'm closer. I, I guess I relate clo more closer to the average person than I do to your typical academic. Um, because, you know, a little bit about, about me and my background, for example, um, I am the first person in my family, my immediate family, to have graduated from high school. Okay, so, wow. um, so I, I graduated from high school, and then I went on, you know, and I got my bachelor's degree in German, um, and then I went on and got my MA in linguistics, and then finally a PhD in, in Germanic linguistics. So I come from a background where, you know, 
we were blue collar workers. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I saw my own mother change her own transmission on a Camaro, <laughs> for example. <laughs> wow. So it's, it's weird, right? For me, because yeah. I'm not part of that pretentious world. And um, I never really wanted to be a part of that pretentious world because I want to just kind of remember my roots and where I came from. So anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm still an academic in the sense that I do publications. Um, I just had a book released earlier this year that was based on my dissertation. It's called The Application of Persian Semiotics to the Elder Futhark Tradition. Um, of course, it is an, an academic work, um, but that's, uh, that's pretty much my background. You know, all kinds of, I've studied all kinds of languages. I'm more of a historical linguist. So mm -hmm. I specialize in old High German, old Saxon, Gothic. Uh, in fact, today I was just uh, in a class. I'm teaching two classes. One is old Saxon and the other one's Gothic. I'm doing it for free, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's what I'm saying. And actually it's, it's more or less, especially the old Saxon one, it's more or less just for people like, like you and me, just mm. normal people. Um, and so I'm still super engaged with all that. It's just that I can leave the academic stuff and all the politics that come associated with it, mm. you know, imaginary tenure and all that stuff and just throw it out the window and yeah. do my own thing the way I want to do it and then just go to work. Yeah. So, you know, are you, uh, are you teaching this these language classes to are, like? Do you have folks who come in that are pagan as well, even? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that that was the target, really, because okay. I'm trying to educate the community properly. You know, like mm -hmm. I said to you before, politics. Check them at the door. Don't care left, right, whatever. Come there to teach, right? I come there to teach. You come there to learn, and we're going to just talk about linguistics and grammar and stuff like that. And so. I, when I reach out to these people in the heathen community, I, I let them know up front, like, when you come here, we're just going to be talking about linguistics, yeah, you know, or, you know, whatever um, that's related. So, uh, but yeah, it is mostly the heathen community. I did reach out to some people like in the old Sidu community and then like the community, what was it? Like the continental Germanic Facebook mm. group at one point. Um, and then, you know, I had them write an application and it was more or less just to see who was serious. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody got in who wrote an application. I just wanted to, I know that little extra step would it helps. probably weed out people who weren't so interested. Yeah. So, or maybe the, who had interest in, uh, you know, ul ulterior motives or yeah, yeah, exactly. things that don't really line up with what you're, you're trying to do. And I think that, you know, having people out here like yourself who, Taking a, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that too, just briefly with you about, you know, you, your background, where you came from versus where you kind of yeah. landed. Um, it seems to me like, and probably people listening, like, well, that's a, that's a huge, like, let's just jump off the exit and, and drive in places yeah. we've never been before. Like, again, hearing about your background, that kind of middle-class blue collar background, you know, the first graduate of high school in your family. Um, yeah. and, and, and what drove you or what, what kind of put you in that on that path to of higher learning or academia? Well, I moved out. So the thing was, is um, I didn't, I grew up more or less actually, actually really in like lower class. Um, I grew up in Detroit and uh, in the city of Detroit and um, everything around there that I was seeing, I didn't really want to be a part of. And, uh, you know, whether it was all the drugs and the gangs and stuff like that, which it's funny because people don't really associate that with me at all. Um, but that's, yeah, you that, know, on the, on the surface. Right? <laughs> so, but that was my big motivator and, um, all the close people that I knew back then, 
um, whether they were relatives or close friends, I ended up losing them to those things. And um, I just, I said, I didn't want to be a part of any of that. So I moved out when I was 15 years old um, and I started paying rent and stuff like that. And I had met someone who was a, a Marine and he kicked my ass <laughs> and uh, he kind of basically was like, you know what? You know, because he went to like Lawrence Tech, I think, in Michigan for a bit. And he's like, I'll show you how to do this, but it's going to require a lot of work. And so I just had, luckily, I had some guidance from him. And uh, I just kept going. I think I, I sort of defaulted to want to keep going, too, just because um, it kept me away, again, away from that community and away from thinking about those things and just focused on just learning. Mm. And, you know, and it was a distraction, but at the same time, of course, I wanted to really learn these things. And um, now, were you heathen at the time? Like, have you been heathen? Sort of, I can talk about that for a minute. So, like, I was first introduced really to heathenry when I was about 12 years old. Um, and I'm old now. I'm 38. <laughs> so uh, 12 years old. And uh, I did practice back then too, even when I was a, a young teenager and everything. And then when I moved in with this guy, he sort of convinced me that it was all just trash. And he was very, very materialistic, and, you know, Marine, like I said, you know, and so mm -hmm. I kind of threw it out the window. And then, uh, at, and then finally, I kind of came back to uh, studying German and studying um, Germanic linguistics. And then I started to look into uh, um kind of like the the 19th century sort of Germanic ways of thinking about runes and philosophy and stuff like that. And ironically enough, I pursued that in a class that was on the Holocaust. <laughs> so, it, and so it was really interesting because I guess it shows you too, that my instructor, um, she was Jewish too, but she like, there were no suspicions or anything like, Oh, why is this white guy wanting to know about mm -hmm. all these things? It was just purely like, wow, this is weird and interesting. And I remember looking at these symbols when I was like 12 years old. Can I pursue this thing? You know, she said, yeah, go ahead. So anyway, I found out that there was a theosophical society down the road from me. And as you know, or maybe you don't, or maybe your viewers don't know, the theosophical society was very prevalent back then when I was studying about the runes in like the 19th century, late 19th century. And so I went to the Theosophical Society. They said, no, you're not crazy. You can totally believe in these things and you can totally practice these things. And we're here to support you. And I was like, oh, all right. And so I just kind of hit the ground running mm. and I've been running ever since, you know, with these ideas. And uh, yeah, so then I got into the Theosophical Society. I'm not a Theosophist anymore. I used to be. And then but basically what the Theosophical Society helped me do is sort of figure out who I am as an individual, what I'm supposed to do and what my interests are and what my goals are. So, um, yeah, so then I just went on, long story short, to pursue linguistics and then pursue Germanic linguistics. And then when I met, met my advisor, I wasn't even studying runes or anything, but she could tell that, you know, when we would talk about runic inscriptions, I would get super like fired up and everything. And mm. she's like, why are you not pursuing this? You know, why are you not specializing in this? And I said, well, I was told that, uh, that this was over-researched and she just laughed and she goes, absolutely not. She's like, please just, just keep doing your thing. And so that's the long story actually short, uh, to where, um, I sort of took off with that. And so I'm like, I felt like invincible. I'm like, I got my, cause I had my advisor behind me. Yeah. You yeah, know, validation. Yeah. Matter. So, my advisor is also very old school. 
Her name was Irmengard Rauch, which is a very Germanic name. Sure um, but she was very old school, um, you know, in the sense that she didn't bring politics in anything. She didn't want to know your politics. She didn't want to know your religion. She didn't want to know any of that stuff. That's kind of where what rubbed off on me too, because I don't want to know any of that stuff. I just want to teach, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of, you know, how I got into all this, but to answer your question started when I was 12 and I just haven't stopped. Um, I've been able to develop certain things, you know, of course, reading books by like DJ Conway when I'm 12 years old, that might've been good for a 12 year old, but yeah. Um, yeah. So the linguistics, man, like that's a very interesting, like the, the, the focus on linguistics, your specialty, your, your area of, of expertise is, is linguistics. There are other people in the heathen community who take an academic approach um, with on, with, on, on the focus of like anthropology or on, yeah. um, uh, you know, digging things up and finding relics and, and, and stuff. Have you ever gotten into that? Yeah, area? but really would never. Yeah, because, okay, so runology is, so I'm a runologist and I'm a runer. So it's, there are two different things. You know, I say runologist because that's the academic term uh, for looking at runic inscriptions, you know, and analyzing them. And then I'm a runer, uh, which is a term that my organization uses um, for me practicing. And so uh, runology is an interdisciplinary field. So it has to take in, it has to take in, you know, this sort of like um, approach, a holistic interpretation, a holistic approach. You need to look at the archaeology that will help inform you, um, will, will help you inform you sort of give an interpretation for an inscription. So yes, I've looked at the archaeology. Um, I've looked at maybe some of the surrounding folklore even, right? Those are things... Um, that people need to look into for runic interpretation. The problem is though, is that we came from this sort of like American structuralist perspective. What that really means is that these American structuralists, long story short, just like to focus on the phonology and the sounds and give you an interpretation. As you know, that can be problematic because they aren't taking into consideration, for example, was this written on bone? To them, uh, yeah. bone, or written on wood or written in stone are all the same thing yeah. from an operative perspective. It sure as hell isn't. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, but those American structuralists didn't care about those things. They only wanted to analyze the language. And so I, on the other hand, and, and many other runologists now are starting to try to take into consideration the entire context. Um, in which case can be difficult because you can't be a specialist in everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you run into areas of, uh, uh, or, or have you run into uh, situations where people try to to be the the master of all when it comes to this, like you know, taking it all and being that specialist on on all fronts? And no, in fact, I see the opposite usually. Uh, it's yeah, these people who are just like, no, I'm only a specialist in, like I was just saying, phonology, which is just the study of sounds for people who don't know, and they're almost afraid to go outside of that box to look at the other things to give a sort of whole holistic interpretation. That's really the, the usual um, yeah. situation. That's yeah. Good. I like that uh, runology and, and, and being a runer, you know, like th that, that, I, that almost sounds to me like, a, you know, the, the, the metaphysical side of it maybe, or, or understanding, yeah. like you say, you know, the difference between, you know, runes that were painted 
versus carved or, or what yeah. they were carved on. And, and it almost makes me uh, call to attention that that infamous stanza in the uh, in the Hovamal. Do you know how to, you know, all these things? You know, do you know yeah. how to paint them? Do you know color, how, to, how, to how to write or, or it, carve? Yeah. And why was it said that way? I think it's 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 more on that side of the spectrum, you know, like it's, it's not so. Yeah, much no, about... that's actually a really good example of saying like all of those things in sorry if I'm sort of regurgitating what you are saying, but like all those things need to be taken into consideration when it comes to interpretation. Mm. Now you know? with your, with your focus on the runes uh, and, and, and where you've like landed on with that. Um, I've been asked a lot of times from people um, like I get, I get messages all the time. Like, Hey, I'm starting a, I'm starting this business or I'm starting this, this venture. And I want to, you know, put this into runes. Um, can you give me some suggestions? And my whole thing is like, well, first of all, which runes? I mean, because yeah. we've got the Elder Futhark, you've got the the younger Futhark, you've got the the Anglo-Saxon runes, you've got medieval yeah. runes, you've got all, you know, first of all, what are we talking about? Secondly, um, are you just trying to transliterate? Like, are you using like the name of your business and and like phonetically sounding out the name? Or are you trying to impart some sort of, for lack of a better term, I guess, magic into yeah. the, into the, the brand or, or, or something like that, you know, like, so I guess as this is kind of focusing more about like the, the, the practice, the, the practitioner side of the rooms versus the academic side of the rooms. And do you think that you need to have at least a base understanding of the academic side of things before you can really fully capture the, the, the essence of the, the, the practitioner or the mystical side of, of the rooms? So for me, yeah. Uh, for me, definitely. So, like, my approach is, like, 50-50. It's, like, in, in the academic world, it's all objective argumentation, okay? Mm -hmm. And this sort of, like, subjective world without any academic foundation or objective foundation, however you want to put that, you get off in a crazy lane. So, I think a nice balance is appropriate for somebody who's a practitioner um, to research here's the thing to research it but don't be a slave to the history in a weird that that sounded really strange but i did not mean <laughs> but don't be no, yeah. you know I mean? <laughs> like no, don't I get be, it. yeah it's like don't be sort of married to that i guess you could say don't be married to the don't be the so history. root bound what's that like don't be so root bound yeah exactly but but know your stuff you know, of yeah. course. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that if if it's all objective and it's all objective argumentation, really, you're just being an amateur academic. Mm. That's really all it is. And I only say amateur because it's the truth. I mean, look yeah. at somebody like my advisor, for example, who's an actual academic, 80 years old, and she's been doing this since who knows when, you know, that's like a professional academic. So for somebody to just come along and read a few books, you know, you're really just being an amateur academic. So, but I'm trying to say, so as practitioners, um, kind of live in both worlds, test things out. Does this work? Should I knock on the stone nine times that has this inscription and figure out what happens? Weird stuff like that academics don't do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's best to live in both worlds. So an example as well is so here we'll go into the more practical side of things because people ask me about that a lot i'm very reserved about it but it's just that i'm a very private person when it comes to that but as an example 
Um, let's say I wanted to work with the Saxons. Well, it's really cool, right? I study old Saxon. That's great and everything. Well, if you look at the material, it's only the gospels that you're reading. It's all Christian material. So what do we do? Throw it out? Mm. No, we don't. We learn the language and then we learn how to use the language as a tool for what we want to do. So for instance, um, if I know how the language works from an academic objective perspective, now I want to do this sort of thing where I want to give bloat or an offering to, let's say, a Saxon ancestor or something. Why not then rewrite the language since I know how to use it and create a song for that ancestor? It's like, bam, now, now you're using the best of both worlds and you're mm -hmm. making it a live tradition. My biggest thing is sort of like bringing the past to the present. So I guess that's what I was trying not to say earlier, not live in the past per se, but be rooted in the past and bring that past to the present. And then that to me becomes a live tradition. You know? I like the way you say that. Um, and, and I've, and I've echoed that sentiment in my own way uh, over the years in, in, in the aspect of tradition, right. Is not the, the worship of ashes. It's the preservation of fire. And I've used the analogy that mm -hmm. how is, how is fire carried, you know, like the fire that was burning with this group of people, it, it dies down. It becomes a, a bed of coals and embers. They would carry those embers from one campsite to the next or one place to the next, right? And then breathe new life, add new things to it from that next place that they went to. Yes. So the fire isn't the same as it was last week, yesterday, whenever, right? It's still fire though. And it's breathing new life. It's giving new, it's bringing that, that, that bed of ember those bed of embers, that, that, that bed of coals yeah. into the now. And yeah. uh, so much of what I think of, of people when we look at, you know, the historical documents, whether we're looking, whether we're trying to reconstruct ritual or whether we're mm -hmm. trying to understand how these people did things at a specific time with what limited information might be out there. Um, I think people can just have the tendency to think that because that's the way it was done a thousand or more years ago, then that has to be the way it has to be the way to do now. It. Yeah. And that's like, like I don't know. I mean, if, if you want to do that, it's like not a, not a stab at you or anything. And there's a place and time for it. But just yeah. for me personally, like I'm very comfortable, extremely comfortable with who I am and what I believe. I have no doubts. I have no crisis of faith, anything like that. So for me, that is how I operate. Exactly. It has to be, rooted in the past and sort of brought to the present if you're if you're you have no foundation what are you doing you in a sense yeah. using the fire analogy you're almost starting fires randomly all over in different places yeah um so but yeah i mean i, I get it you know well i think you're also do that i just don't feel like it's a live tradition anymore because also yeah. it's like like the Saxons that continued the live tradition, the Anglo-Saxons continued a live tradition, developed into the Anglo-Saxon tradition. And then you have the Scandinavians developing into the old Norse speaking, you know, traditions and stuff like that. So, but they're rooted, they're rooted in the past, right? They're rooted mm -hmm. in a lot of those old values. And then they kind of develop on their own. What works? What doesn't work? If something doesn't work, why are we still doing it? Yeah. Well, you know? I, I was, I was looking at that too. Um, I think people, uh, you know, maybe not all in my audience, but um, we, we, we encounter a lot of folks that have been, you know, you've been doing this since you were on and off maybe, but you've been dedicating your life to, to the study of the runes, but you've also been practicing as a heathen for the majority of your life, yeah. you know, from your childhood and into your, into your adult years. Yeah. Me, I not mean, so I... much. I've got like 10 years almost now into it, but other people coming into it that think of heathenry, they're like, it's, 
old it's it's Norse heathenry, and they use this as an umbrella term. Yeah. Not re- not realizing that well, the Norse, if you want to, you know, the Scandinavian countries, they yeah, they picked yeah. it up from somewhere. Those those people in the south migrated, and they brought yeah. those things with them, right? Right. Yeah. No. Um, absolutely. So they made those traditions that were their own that we almost want to like focus heavily on the, the the Scandinavian side of things, like how did the you know how was it done in Iceland or Norway or Denmark or Sweden. Mm-hmm. And forget almost that, well, they had to get from somewhere. It came from somewhere. It came from Saxony. It came from the south, re- the southern regions, right? Right. Um, and and this, they, this is where the big thing is that I don't, sorry, didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. So this is, this is the, the so there is a group out there. I'm just, I'm not going to say their name, but for example, they're always trying to go back to that, that root, that core. They also believe, for example, that a lot of these sort of like, house spirits or we might even say like Wayland, for example um all were sort of at one time gods and then they were sort of lowered to these these sort of lower beings mm. that's because the tendency is to want to keep going back to that primal essence mm-hmm. you know what i mean um the thing is is that i i believe more like okay there there are these sort of you know things that you reach back to these roots but occasionally there are also localized traditions that pop up yes right and then that's how you do get your local spirits so you know that's the one thing i try to do too as a practitioner um like here's an example i was in california for almost eight years right eight ten years something like that my practices involved of course being rooted in germanic thought and, and belief but i also wanted to connect to my immediate landscape yeah so one of the um, the herbs that I, I used a lot was white sage, not because it's so readily available and you can buy it on Amazon. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it, it grows there naturally. Mm-hmm. And so I would try to build relationships with the localized things there as well. Yeah. Now I moved back to the Chicago area. Right. Well, back to the Midwest, but like to Chicago. And I have since sort of left the white sage a little bit. I kind of use it a little bit here and there, but now I'm more focused on trying to build a relationship with creating certain incenses from like uh, pine resin and cedar and juniper berries and stuff like that, because that's what's here. And you can build a, a real localized relationship with these things. But again, I'm still rooted in my Germanic practice. Yeah. So it's a living, it's a living tradition. Yes. You know, I've, I've, I've picked up more. And I think that comes into, uh, or that I think that touches, uh, more on the animistic side of heathenry. Yeah. Um, I, I contest that you can't be a heathen without being at least something of an animist <laughs> because of the yeah, focus. I mean, we're of... going to fight about that all day. And again, even for yeah. your viewers, it all kinds of, that kind of comes down to, you know, what works for you in that yeah. sort of case but i do believe that you are correct jesse i mean i i don't i don't know if the issue it's like i don't know if the issue is how people are defining am, animism um and therefore they're like oh they were animistic or they weren't animistic um this is not a word just like magic should be thrown around loosely you know just your solution you know if your solution is googling it and using dictionary.com for your argument on what animism is that's not very deep. Like it's not, you know, it's like there are people, um, you know, whether they're sociologists or anthropologists or whatever, who write article after article after article on what the hell does animacy mean? 
What is the, what does it mean, right? Is it just simply a belief in spirits? Well, yeah, if you want to be stuck in 19th century Victorian times, I mean, that's what it means. But there are other people who have come along and who have said, no, animism is building a relationship with spirits. So it's, it's not even just necessarily just the belief in. So if we want to say it's building a relationship with spirits, yeah, of course. Why would anybody argue against that? Of course they were animistic. You know, I'm animistic. I do the same thing. I mean, so I guess I, because I, I, I don't know if you've heard that on the internet with people saying you have. Okay, yeah, it's just yeah. weird. Yeah, I don't. The, the argument can get really. You can really get into the weeds with it with people. Um, and again, it goes back to that, like you were saying, the living, a living folkway, a living tradition. This is this is the way people lived at the time. And when we talk about tradition, we talk about going back to the, to the early times of of of, of the, the Saxons or, or even before who, you know, however far back you want to go. I mean, they lived off the land, they lived with the land. It was integral to have a relationship and build a relationship. Yeah. And, and part of that lifestyle was to engage with your regional and local like your representations of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I did, it's funny that we're talking about this because my, my podcast last week was on the importance of hearth cult and okay. how, hearth cult has to be in my opinion has to be something that if you're serious about being a, a heathen and, and mm -hmm. practicing heathenry that before you ever get into the 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 bigger you know dealing with the, the divine the your interactions with the sacred the gods you know first you need to have your hearth cult established you need to know what it is that yeah. you're doing your your practices your uh, the, the the orthopraxy has to yeah. be established without that you're going to kind of be putting the cart ahead of the horse yeah, um, yeah, totally, totally. And everybody has, like you were saying before, you know, you move different places, you become in tune with what's going on in, in that area, or you want to. Right, and of course you bring those, those things with you to say, you know, you bring these things with you, bring your practices with you, but yes, exactly. You you sort of adapt to the landscape. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Um, I was going to, you know, the, the kind of the focus on, you know, today's podcast was was going over the pros and cons or, or trying to at least nail down some some pros and cons of academic reconstruction in heathenry. I know um, we, we we mutually uh, partake or, or at least have visibility to, to academic social media groups, you know, and and some of what we see, like you were talking about, is, is, is so much of the what was done in the past, how far back we go and, and, and really yeah. kind of stay in there. Um, that to me is like one of the cons of approaching this religion, this folkway, this, the spirituality, however label you want to put to it. That's one of the, one of the cons that can exist um, is that you, you, you lose sight of the practicality, the practitioner side of it, and you become so enamored or so it's almost like this romanticized experience of the past. Like, Oh, it was so the way it was, you know, and yeah. why can't we do it that way? You know, do you see that too? Or maybe what are some other things that you would so say? I can say a couple of things about that. Yeah. Um, I've seen some ridiculous claims made, for example, by some academics where it's like, clearly you've never done this before. And I'm not even talking about the, the sort of deeper spiritual side of, like I was saying, singing a song in old Saxon to an ancestor. You know, I'm talking about, have you ever picked up a hammer and a chisel and tried to carve into granite? <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> um, Literally. You know, it, it's <laughs> yes, pun intended. It really is. It's, it's, and I have, of course, I've 
I've created multiple, you know, objects like that. But the thing is, is that I didn't know how difficult it was to, for example, carve into that marble, like an idiot. Why would I pick marble anyway? <laughs> so it was really, really hard. And my point is though, is that if I'm going to practice, so this is a, a sort of thing that I was sort of throwing at renologists uh, just a, about a year or two ago at a conference. I said, if you're going to quote unquote practice carving runes, I highly suggest you don't do it on granite. You know, it's like, yeah, do something you... like limestone or something softer, maybe, or limestone or literally seriously trace the damn runes in the ground. If you're trying to, you know, but I understand maybe they want some carving practice, but exactly. Um, but if I write eight Ansus runes in a row for practice on granite, that it's just counterintuitive to me. And so I can tell that a lot of these people, you know, they, they, they probably, this is, this is coming from the background, my blue collar background, right? Just going to say it. I can tell some of these people have never even picked up a screwdriver. Okay. Yeah. So there's no dirt yeah. under their fingernails. They got no calluses on their <laughs> exactly. hands. Like, <laughs> exactly. So um, th that's one example, I guess that, you know, won't ever be resolved until you try to go and do it practically, you know, and that's something that you could easily do. Uh, another one, for example, was like uh, the egg yes stone. Somebody had suggested that they, I think it was, they had carved on that stone using some sort of wooden chisel. Yeah, go ahead and think about that one. It was like, are you kidding me? You um, into stone. Yeah, and, okay. but they didn't. Well, the reason why is because of the egg yes stone is that it says that you're not supposed to use iron. It says that it wasn't carved by an iron knife. Um, uh, so then what I suggested is that somebody may have used another stone to carve into it with a higher hardness. Mm, that makes yeah. sense. But again, it's like, really? Wooden chisels into, I think it was like a mix, some sort of granite or mica or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, yeah, you clearly don't understand the, the density and, and, the, and just how solid these materials are. If you think that they were. Using no, no, of course. Wood. It's, it's the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just. The, the academics are usually not concerned with practice, though, right? They're the other extreme of objective. Everything needs to be an argument. Anything you experience subjective doesn't matter. So, you know, but they're, they're not practitioners. Maybe they are. I don't know. But for me, um, and this kind of gets to one of the, the questions, actually, that somebody had asked. For me, is it difficult to separate the two worlds? Funny enough, it's not as difficult for me to separate the two worlds as it is for somebody else to separate the two worlds thinking about me. So in other words, what I'm saying is that I, I guess I'm lucky. I don't know. I can easily, easily walk into a classroom and teach objectively. No subjective stuff, you know, will come from me, or at least I will consciously try to not do that. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. I go home. I, you know, maybe perform some, some sort of ritual and throw the academic rationality stuff out the window. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so my goal is, is something a little bit different now. But then I go back into the classroom again, objective argumentation. So what I'm trying to say is that for me, it's actually not that hard. But for other people who are sort of judging me, which happens a lot, I can get into that in, in a minute, um, it's hard for them to understand how I can do that. And at that point, it doesn't, it's not even my problem. It becomes your problem. Yeah. Like I can easily separate the two worlds. 
And then in my practice, bring them both together, blah, blah, blah. You can be unbiased. You can be yes, unbiased. Yes, or at least easily. I can try to consciously be unbiased. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because I just say try to be consciously unbiased because it's almost impossible to not Subconscious unbiased be... does lead. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and so being able to do that is is not that big of a deal for me it's very it's very easy but people like i said people again who are academics they're like there's no way that he can separate those two things it's like i clearly can you know it's it's i don't know it's really strange bias and agenda too i think get 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 um really um you know people that that uh or i've seen examples of this happening where bias and agenda get leaked into what people are doing like they they're 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 educating yeah. they're they're educating i'll, I'll say i'm gonna put that in air quotes and say it loosely sure. right they're educating because there's there's knowledge that's being shared and sure it may be you know um uh rooted in historical source material um so you can say that yes you're educating um but the man like the 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 uh the agenda comes through no, heavily. There is, the bias comes through heavily. And I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Like that's yeah. one of the biggest reasons I am so glad I am not in academia right now. I couldn't do it. See, that's the thing. Like it's and we can get into this too about the whole free thinking thing. Mm. So and how I get in trouble sometimes. So please let me just talk about that for a minute too. Yeah, but, go for it. So it's the free thinking things. I, I like to consider myself more of a free thinker. So if you're telling me to um explain the sort of uh agenda <laughs> sorry Fun technology. Yeah. Sorry. My camera, yeah anyway if you're if you're trying to um tell me to teach this sort of thing and there's this agenda behind it then i'm not going to do it i'm going to do it in in such a way to where i'm not biased and i'm a free thinker and then i'm also going to encourage my students to be free thinkers as well so I am not for this group think mentality, whether it be one side or the other. I am very much focused on the individual self-exploration and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, but, oh yeah, so I was going to say how this sort of affected me. Um, so an example here is I wrote my dissertation on Rinza Magic. And now I got... I went to two different conferences and two friends of mine at the time had come up to me afterwards and they're like, you're insane. Why are you talking about runes and magic? Especially since you are a practitioner and they knew. And, but the, the irony though, here's the irony. They were also practitioners, but they're so afraid of getting doxxed or just people coming after them for unwarranted reasons, ad hominem attacks that they won't do it they won't pursue it. Mm. So in a way, like one of them told me that they were envious of me. It's like, well, I don't know about if envious is the right word now. Cause I've kind of screwed myself. Uh, cause you know, cause these people, um, they think I'm crazy, you know, but like, uh, here's another good example. When I was writing my dissertation, one of my committee members said, Hey, why are you citing this source? I said, cause it's a good source. Yeah, but you shouldn't cite the source. Why shouldn't I cite the source? Because it's Stephen flowers. Ooh, I just said the magic name, right? So it's like, now let's not react. Let's think about it for a minute. The thing that I was citing was a dissertation called Runes and Magic from the 1980s. Now it's a valid dissertation. It's a good piece of work. 
I didn't cite anything from like, you know, Llewellyn or Weiser or whatever. I'm talking about something that was published through Peter Lang. And I asked him, I said, well, this person on my committee, I said, why shouldn't I cite this? He goes, because that could get you in a lot of trouble. I said, well, why would it get me in a lot of trouble if it's a good work? He goes, yeah, okay, it's a good source. It's a good work, good argumentation, but just beware if you cite that people are going to come after you. And yeah. I'm like, this is insane. why is this even happening? Yeah. Um, you know, it's so I went ahead and cited it. But yeah, what I was going to say about getting in trouble is that being free, a free thinker is I am the type of person to where if I go to a meeting, whether it's a conference, whether it's a heathen event, you know, left, right, I don't care if I go there and somebody says, don't go talk to that person. I'm going to go talk to that person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like when we were kids, you know, and, and your parents would tell you, well, don't do this. Don't do that. Well, what's the first thing you're going to do? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from with that, but my my mentality is there's a group of people that says you shouldn't go do this thing. So do I sort of adhere to the group think idea of that particular group and, and, and play it safe? Because I would have been safe, sure. Or do I want to still retain my own agency and retain myself as a free thinker, go to that person, talk to that person, formulate my own opinion, and then mm -hmm. say, yeah, you're, you're crazy. I'm not talking yeah. to you. Or... No, I think this person's okay. But I think we're stuck in this world now where it's just, like I said, groupthink ideas everywhere to where, yeah. you know, we should really sort of focus on ourselves as individuals, especially as like scholars. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just another example. I was just, I went to go talk to this guy. People are like, you shouldn't go talk to him. But then you're guilty by association, which yep. is totally unfair. Yep. It's totally unfair. So just because I go talk to someone because I'm curious and I want to know for myself what's going on here, that shouldn't be the case that I'm guilty by association. It does not mean that I condone. Nine times out of 10, I don't condone, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. situations. But looking now, at it objectively. Knowledge of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's such yeah. a, I, I think it's such a terrible thing that, that, that it's come to this when, when legitimately valid good source material is being um, shared and, and used by folks who, for whatever reason, have earned themselves a less than savory or downright shitty reputation because of yeah. their affiliations yeah, yeah, exactly. um, or things like that. And then all of a sudden, because of who said it, all of a sudden, we don't want to say it. Well, yeah, and then guess what happens? The conversation shut down. You, mm -hmm. you get nowhere. There's no progress being made, right? You can't actually have a sort of rational, coherent conversation. It's, it's exhausting, to tell you the truth. I mean, I mean, I think uh, here's a, I wanted to tell you just one more. Sorry, it's yeah. related to the association thing, and I, I wrote this down in my notes because I wanted to sort of prove a really good point here. So I had mentioned before that my advisor, you know, she's much older, much older, you know, old school advisor. She's in her eighties. I one time went to her house to fix her computer. There was some stuff going on with it, and she actually had Ralph Bloom's books in this. Exactly. And she also had books by Stephen Flowers. And I'm like, what in the world? So in today's world, it'd be like, oh, my gosh, is she like, is she doing yeah. this stuff? Is she a practitioner? Ooh, what's going on? What are her policies? Like, no. Yeah, yeah. She just wants to learn. She just wants to know what is out there. Why is this popular? educate yourself. You know what I mean? And again, that gets me in trouble. You know, it's like, 
but to put it in perspective, what if I told you that there's a holy Bible sitting next to my bed right now? Mine, dude, mine is still <laughs> sitting in my desk. My, my the Bible that I was, it's my great grandmother's, first of all. So it's kind of a, an ancestral relic, if you will. Um, so that's for cool. that, for that, for me, it's like, I'm never going to get rid of this. I'm always going to, so in my, in my case though, it's like, I'm just trying to, to help people understand just because you're reading things doesn't, or, or interacting with people or whatever. And you're just trying to learn does not mean that you're condoning behavior. You're mm -hmm. trying to sort of like, so I, I wasn't joking. There actually is. The New Testament. I'm reading Luke 14 right now. Why? Mm. I'm not trying to become Christian. I have no crisis of faith, like I said, but I want to be educated and I want to know these things. Why are people thinking this way? Why do Christians think this way? Mm -hmm. What's so wrong with that? Yeah, it's a, uh, and there was, there was something that um, if you had it available, I think now would be a good time to say there was um, cause, cause all the things that we're talking about right now, it, it brings up for me at least, and maybe for others, that are that are uh, absorbing this podcast right now, it, it really brings up in me this aspect of the one of the one of the parts of Odin, Woden, right? That that yeah. that seeker of knowledge, the 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 one 100%. who is just exactly. always doesn't matter where or what it's from. It's 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 a famous stanza or the Bandamanga saga, right? Wisdom is wisdom from wherever it comes, or that that's a loose. Uh, yeah, no, but verbatim, I but, in Hobbamal. From word come you know word to word seeking the word that sort of thing it's all about seeking right seeking yeah. the knowledge or seeking the runes or but yeah and you had something that, say you that had he a, adheres to anything it's just like he's just constantly learning yeah what's that you had something that you had written in old saxon that was a uh, a call to to woden i think um we, we, you mentioned it to me offline i think now not mm -hmm. knowing before where we could insert that into the episode i think Maybe now, if you wouldn't mind. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Even that. So <clears throat> this uh, is from. Uh, this is from actually a ritual that I created. So this could also be a good opportunity to tell your listeners. You know, I've created an entire ritual, for example, in Old Saxon. Now, is it for everyone? No, because I haven't published it for the general population. And to be honest, I don't think most of the population, the general population, would get it. But the thing is, is that I've created this entire ritual. And yes, I can give you one line, for example. It's called Feeding the Germanic Flame. Um, the ritual is itself. But yeah, the line that you're talking about is, So that means, hail to the followers of Woden, uh, to those who guard, or sorry, sorry. <laughs> Uh, to the worthy warders of the flame, excuse me. So let me try that again. So hail at them warders you see them, them wardigan warden walkmen. So again, hail to the followers of Woden, to the worthy warders of the flame. And so that's an example too, like I said, of taking something that's objective, the language, and using it now for something in a ritual context. An academic would never do that. Why yeah. would they do it? They're not interested in doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I like that it's uh, the worthy warders of the flame, right? Right. And it's more uh, like a calling is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the flame being, I think, something that you could look at, and and it's multifaceted, right? It it is illuminating, it is uh, it it, it brings light, obviously, and and mm -hmm. one of the one of the um, one of the rune poems mentions the the rune Kaun, 
or Kenaz, Kenaz, as yeah. the as the as the torch, right? And it's not the yeah. torch that uh, you know burns down; it's it's the torch that illuminates. And yeah, and it's almost you, referring when, to the, the fire that you're talking about passing along, though, to the yeah. worthy protectors of the flame. You know, and I think that, that yeah. I think that the uh, the association with Woden, of course, you know, for those listening that don't know, I mean, Woden is just the Germanic. Uh, the predate it predates Odin, right? It's Odin became Woden became Wodenaz, Woden became Odin, and then as as things moved up north, right? But uh, the the seeker of knowledge, right? Yeah. And and how that that flame, that torch, is 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 like that physical manifestation, representation of looking to be illuminated, looking to looking for that information. It's not you know, it's not the light itself. It's it's the seeking of knowledge. It's as, as it were. In, or at least in that context. So I like yeah, that. It really that, is. That, it's that it's really that simple too. And I just, I think people just, um, it's, they confuse me in what they want my politics to be, for example. Mm, yeah. And it's like, I, and again, I'll be clear. I have no politics, at least in, in this context. I don't, I don't yeah. push any of the politics and I just want to seek the knowledge. I just want to teach and yada, yada. You know, it's like, I think it's heathen. It can really be done. Very, what's that? It can be done. I mean, clearly we can. It can be, but the thing is, is I think heathenry right now is in a very, very sad state of affairs. And this is why. Think about it. So the first thing that 99% of these groups ask you is what are your views on race and gender? That's the very first thing. I'm not saying it's an unimportant question. Here's what I am saying, though. Depending on how you answer that question of gatekeeping, whether whatever group I'm talking about, I don't care left or right. The point is, is that only then when that message agrees with their mission, can you start to learn? That's my problem. Sadly, sadly true. It's the political um, agenda cases. on any side or just the politics in general now has become the more important focal point. That's the most important thing. Second to that is pursuing knowledge. So I feel really bad for someone who's, let's say, apolitical, especially in these contexts of religion, because they have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't I don't think it really aligns with a uh, a, an Archethan or or ancient Germanic worldview on things. It doesn't. It's 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 it it it, it reflects and it echoes a very modern and and quite honestly, um, Christian approach to things, you know, like how to leverage your religion to control people, right? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a sad, it's it's a sad fact. I think you know we, we can't yeah. ignore it. You know, we have to face that's that a, reality. Yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly what happens. You mix politics with religion. It exactly. It comes down to control. Yeah, and one um, of the things like that you had mentioned about this this uh, you know being a free thinker. Um, yeah. And this, and and how you tend to um, get away or or steer clear of this, you know, group mentality. Um, one of the things that has has been a really important part for me in, in my growth in heathenry is the importance of the tribe, of the sib, of all of these familial yes. unit, like the, the, how the family unit uh, has such a high importance in Germanic worldviews, ancient yeah, Germanic worldviews. Yeah. Um, there's mm-hmm. It's not to say that, you know, everybody has to do everything the same way in their own respective family, clans, sibs, whatever. But it's just that when we do get together, when we are assembled as a tribe, when we are 
gathering together that we have a collective through we have a collective custom we have these collective like that. things that we all theory, agree yeah. on yeah yeah definitely um there should be it's kind of like living in both worlds again like there should be the sort of core uh, sort of core philosophies core practices i guess or at least some maybe not even core is really the right word but some common philosophies some common beliefs and then of course like the tribes have our own individual thing going on Mm -hmm. You know, like, for example, there's there's one group that uh, maybe worships Odin. Let's say the common belief is that people believe in Odin. Sure. Yeah. But one group maybe uh, treats Odin as something that they want to emulate. And then another group treats Odin as something that they want to worship. Like, I think we can work together, you know, in those in those cases, you know. Um, but, yeah, let me say something about that, too. I, I am, a, you know, like I said, a free thinker and I, I try not to adhere to group think. But the thing is, is that I do think and I do believe in these sort of, you know, like like families and kins and stuff like that. Um, and because also that's that's what they practiced back then, too. Right. Whether it was um, the the Angles or the Saxons or the Bavarians or the Alemanni, whatever, they all had their own tribe. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, I have my own tribe, too. I'm not just a, a solitary, you know, practitioner. So um, but within my group, it's like, we have our own sort of kin, but I'm my own person too. Yeah. Um, and there's absolutely no, and, and so for people also kind of joining like this kindred and that kindred and in this group and that group, it seems kind of weird to me because it's like, who are you loyal to? That's the biggest thing for me. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You, who are you loyal to and who do you owe your oaths to? Yeah. And that's very real and that's very Germanic and it's very doable you know, yep. to create an entire, a, a, a Asatru sort of like confederation of something where we all do the same thing. Uh, that's just, look, that's just not me. You'll never get it, me in the box. Like, it's such a challenge to answer questions when people come and ask like, well, how, how do I do this? How do I do that? It's like, well, man, I could give you maybe a framework. I can, yes. I can kind of lay something out for you that you can use to formulate something of your own. But again, it goes back to this, the hearth cult and our group here is, is, is very, we are big on um, the sanctity, the sovereignty of mm -hmm. hearth, right? Your oh, yeah, hearth, yeah, your home, your customs has to be your thing. And the tribe as a, as a bigger collective of different, you know, an, an amalgamation as it were of, of, of different clans, the tribe mm -hmm. has no say over your hearth cult. Nobody, uh, the tribe as a whole, the leaders none sure. of them are going to tell you that you need to do like, or that you can or can't do a certain thing. However, when we right. come together as a tribe, well, this is how the tribe does it. And you're going to, if you're going to be a part of our group, then you are going to agree that that is going to be the custom that you adopt when we do it this way. It's, right. It's, you, no, you, I totally you are, agree with that. That's kind of yeah. how I operate too, except I would say it would be the hall versus when we all get together for an event and each yeah. hall has their own you know individual things going on but we also kind of still believe in the core or we still practice the core philosophies of the group you know but the hall has its own own weird idio uh, idiosyncratic things going on too yeah so yeah. different names for the same sort of thing yeah exactly you know, we yeah. touched on it a little bit when you when you said you know you you moved around you you were you were adopting certain things or you were introducing the way to do certain things, how you interacted when you were living in California that were differently. Yeah. Uh, like the, the basis behind that, I guess, again, the framework, the, the, the fundamental parts of it were the same, but there were idiosyncrasies 
that were different when you were in California versus when you were in the Midwest. And that's, yes, that's fine. That's just, I mean, that's the way it was for, for the longest. I mean, the people in the South didn't do it the same way as the people in the far North. And then even then different countries, different regions, you know, had different ways of doing things. So yeah, I think and even back then too, they would, sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, yeah, back then, even would... back then, of course, they would adopt to their landscape. You know, yes. they're not going to be like, oh, hang on, let me go to Russia and grab this urban. I'll be right back. Uh, you know, it's like they're going to try to incorporate those things into their, their landscape. And that's when it becomes real. You yeah. know, when you start also when it becomes real is when you actually start practicing these things and not just talking about them. I practice yeah. every day. It's you know, every is. single morning I get up, I look at the sun, you know, and I say, hail the day, hail the sons of day, hail tonight and to her sister. May you look upon us with loving eyes and grant us victory in this day. Hail to the gods, hail to the goddesses, and hail to the ever-giving earth. Um, may you give us eloquent speech, wisdom, and healing hands while we live. So right from Sigurd Rifamal, every single morning, and just by opening up your morning like that and making the day sacred, that's already doing something. Yeah. And then when you go to bed, you know, good night to the day, good night to the sons of day, good night. To, so it's sort of closing it out. You know, and that's just one little thing. And that's not even necessarily ritual. That's just, okay, I'm going to make this day sacred and not live in this mundane world. You know, yeah, just little things like that. I like that. Yeah. That goes into, I think, some of the the pros, um, not as in like Sonori's prose edda, but, you know, we're talking about pros and cons of academic uh, yeah. heathen reconstruction. You know, I think this can this can touch on some of the, the benefits or the pros of approaching heathenry with uh, an appreciation and with an interest to be uh, academically inclined. You know, mm -hmm. you learn about these things that are the nuance that is shared um, regardless yeah. of the regions. And, and you, you pick up on, again, commonalities and, and, and you can say, yeah, this is a, uh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, captured this had I not read this saga or, or, you know, True. read this yeah, dissertation or whatever. Might it definitely should inform your practice. It just, mm -hmm. you know, it definitely should inform your practice. I'm just saying, don't be, like I said earlier, you know, don't be married to it or don't be a slave to the history rather. Um, but let the history inform your practice and you're going to keep growing. It's going to be an ever growing, ever living tradition, you know? Absolutely. There was a, I'm going to put it up here on the screen, but, um, uh, at, for, for people that are watching, but there was a question, I think it was on one of your, it was on your YouTube community post. Um, mm -hmm. but the question is, do you think that there are missing links in regards to how these traditions were practiced? And if so, do you believe that academics are dismissive of other possibilities not yet discovered or documented? You know, because we've learned so much. No, I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And things have changed or shifted in a way like, oh, like, I think one of the probably one of the big ones is uh, when bloat, like when the holy tides were held, you know, the, the, the new moon versus the full moon, like these sorts of things. And, and how much we've accumulated knowledge, um, dedicated academics who have captured these these details. And, and now all of a sudden we're, we're for those of us that maybe take a more historical approach to when to do certain things. You know, that knowledge that maybe wasn't there before has now uh, shaped the way things are done. And then what do we do? What do we do when or if new things come? Uh, so, are, yeah, are revealed, I mean, you know, 
Do I think that there are missing links in regards? To, yeah, of course. We're never going to know, really. I mean, even if we're, we only look at something that's an archaeological find, or if we look at something that, that gives us some information in a particular stanza. So to answer the first part of the question, do you think there are missing links? Of course. I mean, we're looking at things that were written down. We're not even dealing with, with real living people that we can have these conversations with. We are only dealing with, like, historically, it's like, you know, one... A very small percentage, I guess, is what I'm trying to say of an entire reality, an entire worldview, an entire Weltanschauung, as they say in German. Very small. So, of course, there are missing links. But, and if so, do you believe that academics are dismissive of the other possibilities? They don't care. The reason why is in, okay, I don't want to speak for every academic because now I'm doing the whole generalization thing. But from my experience, from some of the academics I've talked to, they don't care. And the reason why is because, again, they are way far off in objective land, right? So as a practitioner, like I said, we're both. We're subjective and we're objective. They don't bring in the subjective, or at least they try not to bring in the subjective. So if there's no objective evidence there for them to measure, they look at it as pointless. And they look at it as complete conjecture and complete speculation. Now, if you're trying to fill in the blanks, which some people are doing, some groups are doing, thank you, Mark, for example, he knows who he is, for example, he's actually doing in this group, he's trying to fill in some blanks for his group to use. Um, that becomes useful then. You know, it's because now they're filling in the groups to make, or sorry, filling in the blanks to make something useful and practical. So there's a reason to do that. Academics, it would just be just, you know, academic ramblings. Nobody cares about it. Yeah, it's a nice, fantastical idea, but we're not going to take it seriously until we see an actual physical piece of evidence in front of us. It's, I think, goes back to purpose, right? The purpose that is behind what different people do, right? Just because mm -hmm. you're academically inclined and, and, and you are nothing, it's, it's all objective. You yeah. Know? There's no subjective uh, reasoning to it. Um, if that's your purpose, then that's where it applies and that's where it belongs. And yeah. at least the purpose is defined and we all know that. Um, but again, when it comes to the, the actual living practice of it, the doing of it, our purpose, you know, say our, but like the people like that want to blend the two, uh, our purpose is different. You know, yeah. we, we, we are, we're, we're trying to, uh, get an understanding of, okay, well, it's a Germanic heathen uh, folkway. It's a Germanic heathen religion. It obviously things were done in a way that connected these people to the divine and and with the the, the sacred in and around them. You know the the, the localized regional spirits, whatever. Um, if, if it was done a specific way or it was done that way, then let's learn from that and apply it to us now in modern times. Like there's there's right. probably going to be some things. I think just practically, you know, practically speaking, and that's what it goes back to practice that don't apply anymore. Like we're not going to be, we're not going to be holding nine year sacrifices like they did in Uppsala. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, yeah. not a thing anymore. Never, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but, but, but knowing like the why and, and the purpose and, and shifting the purpose, like maybe there's, there's something that's reconstructed in a much better, uh, in, in a way that, that better fits modern application, you know? Maybe we're not no, no, totally. sacrificing yeah, I mean, nine of every living thing, but we're doing something <laughs> of a, that kind of re, re, replicates or, or, or revitalizes the, the yeah. essence behind it. I wouldn't mind doing that to some particular people. I'm kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> totally joking. But, of course, uh, I'm not advocating that. 
Um, right. So, yeah, no, of course, it has to be sort of reinterpreted and, you know, carried to the present. So, yeah. But, yeah, uh, that's how it becomes a living tradition rather than something that's just stuck in the past. Um, you know, I another... would love that. Mm-hmm. I would, I would, I would love that. Um, I would love to know that the things that we're doing now set the standard. That that, that may be a, that may be a harsh way of saying it, but that it, it sets a tone or it sets a precedence for people after we're physically gone. You know, because oh yeah, yeah, the the, the whole tribal thing, right? Like it's, it, for, for the tribe goes on when the people of the tribe don't. The, mm-hmm. the, that that iteration that that group should go on with the people the next generations and stuff but the the foundation the the, the customs the through whatever um, yeah have been there from people that were there before and so that's in that way it's the, the the traditions live on no for sure in fact um the hall that i belong to in california um they taught me they were they were older than me and, and they knew a lot more than i did and i learned a lot from them and so when I came to Chicago, I established my own hall here, and it was sort of a continuation of that hall. Even the name of the hall was more of a continuation of that hall. And then, yeah, of course, I would hope that maybe somebody from my hall would then continue on that sort of tradition and the values that I brought with me from the hall in California to here and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, um, but yeah, uh, there's... Yeah, just keep practicing. You know, that's all I wanted to tell people. It's like it's so important just to practice, 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 practice. Either, you know, you got people that are usually in subjective land and they don't read anything, or you got people who are just the, like I said, the amateur academics who don't do anything at all except research. Um, yeah, it's like what good is all this knowledge do if, um, if it's not being applied? Or mm-hmm. at least looking to to have an application put to it. Like, what 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 really what what value does it bring? And that gets into some of the more of like the uh, the Germanic worldviews on worth, value, um, you know, the the, the actual yeah, like okay. stuff like that. You know, like we we don't we don't uh, just because you know everything doesn't inherently make you worth anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. And what are you doing with that? Everything you don't know anything at all. <laughs> and yeah. that's including me too. Uh, that's just the way I look at it. It's like the more I learn, the more I know, or at least pursue really the, it sort of like turns into fragments of just not knowing anything at all because it opens up so many different questions. Um, mm-hmm. So for every, you know what they say, right? For every uh, question you're able to answer, it opens up 10 other questions. Yes. You know? And I think there's, that's, that, that can be kind of dangerous territory because uh, once, once you become so inundated with knowledge that you're ans- mm-hmm. you're asking more questions than you're having answers to. I think that that can you, you run a risk of um, drifting away from the orthopraxic nature of heathenry. Would you agree that first of all, heathenry is orthopraxic? Like, you, you, would you would you say that there is orthopraxy a part of heathenry? Like, yeah, of course. I mean, we all have stumble. You know, for yeah. example, I'll have stumble. We all have bloat. You know, yeah. so yeah. And There's so some- if you if you get to the point where you're just starting to question more things and, and you're, you're having less answers to it, I think that there's a risk uh, that, that we start losing the orthopraxic nature of heathenry and becoming all just kind of foo-foo, you know, uh, woo-woo, fluffy bunny, anything and everything goes. Um, and, and I've losing... never had that problem. I see, I see what you're saying, but um, yeah. 
because when I'm talking about, yeah, I mean, that's just the academic side of my brain, I guess, where I'm just, that's, that's how you think as an academic, any good mm-hmm. academic will tell you that. Um, but I don't let that um, sort of uh, take over the the subjective experiences I have in ritual. So yeah. for me anyway, that's not a problem. I can see how that can be confusing for some people. But uh, again, like I said at the beginning of the video, I have no problem separating those two. Yeah. And uh, I don't either, essentially. You know. But I've yeah, never, I can see how people, you know. I've never called myself a reconstructionist. I, I, I appreciate never, and I value the the historical side of things and i think that there's mm-hmm. there's uh, a lot to learn from uh, attempts to to reconstruct and and in re- that in a way revitalize i just would never put my put that i would never call myself that because again yeah, I, I'm I, more, I, are, I like the subject yeah, i have friends who are you know but they also we respect each other i have friends who are we respect each other yeah. they know why i do what i do i know why they do what they do and yeah. you know but we still do share some common heathen practices and beliefs and you know but um yeah uh i was trying to think too like there was a couple experience um uh, examples rather where i would get uh so just to to go back to the whole practicing versus academic thing so just a couple more things here um i got funding to go to bjorkatorp in sweden it was really cool i got to go see the bjorkatorp runestone an academic would go there of course examine the runes maybe transliterate them, give a rough translation, whatever, and then go home. I kind of did that. But what happened is I went there, I did all of the above, went back at night around 10 o'clock at night, perform ritual there. You see what I'm saying? Like your yeah. academic's not going to do that. But the, also yeah. the average academic's going to think I'm crazy for saying that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, it's the same thing with the Thorsberg Moor. I did a video on the Thorsberg Moor. You know, what's funny is that if you watch that video with the Thorsberg Moor, if any of your viewers have seen that, just know that I also went back there that night and also performed ritual. <laughs> so, it, yeah, I mean, again, that has to been so amazing. I mean, just thinking. it was cool. Yeah. I mean, and it's like that's one of those things where you can't be it's weird, right? Because I was there earlier in the day with my completely like sort of academic set of mine. Right. And then I went back there at night with my gond, which is like a staff or something you want to call it, like a wand, knocked on a stone nine times. And recited a verse in proto-dramatic and did a couple other things too and so in a sense too that was also my way of thanking the white who's living there too within the barrow and saying look i didn't just come here for a bunch of information and to take off it's like hey i came here for a bunch of information thank you by also by the way here's a song here's some mead that i made and so on and so forth so thank you and you know i also left a rune pine there too with a particular bind rune on there and buried it so it's that's there there's another example of creating the relationship that i was just talking about too Mm -hmm. so one of the last things i thought i would ask you know um for those that i mean obviously you've been doing this for for a long time you've got a really good command of for all intents and purposes dead languages you know like nobody speaks old saxon anymore at least in the conversational sense you can incorporated into ritual and, and, and some of these others, you know, Gothic, old high German, et cetera. Like, you know, these are for all intents and purposes, dead languages. Um, do you think that there is um, greater or lesser value to uh, ritual when, or when, when it's not spoken? Like, I mean, I've done certain things where I've used like a, uh, an old English bait to yeah. 
create sacred space, right? Carry a yeah. torch and, and call fire. And I've, and I've used an old English bay to, to do that. Bay meaning prayer, right? Uh, I've done that. But I've also, not many people that are in my tribe or in my circle know what the hell I'm saying. And I want to give value to those, to that audience too. Like the people that I'm with, the, the weird that we're tying and exchanging and all that, the energy that we're sharing together. Like, I don't want to give them a, an experience where they feel like, I don't know what he's saying. I, I can't, I can't experience totally. what he's experiencing. Like, do you think that there's having a command or, or, uh, or, or no knowledge at all of, of these ancient languages lessens or, or enhances the experience? I think knowing them enhances it. And here's why. Um, if you didn't know English, wouldn't it be pretty difficult to go to a village in German Germany and converse with someone? You know, and yeah. so I'm not saying that you have to do that, right? And also, it's like if you did it, like in your case too, with doing the, the prayer in Old English, I think that's great. And this is this is why. But I have an answer for the people who are good with languages and the people who aren't. So just hear me out. Um, so. In that case, I think it's great because the way that I think about it is it's like, what would it be like, for example, ask yourself this question, what would it be like to be able to converse with some ancestors of mine from a thousand years ago? How cool would that be for them to at least not even converse, but at least for them to know what I'm saying as I'm carrying out these ritual acts? I think that that's, that's amazing, you know, to be able to do that. But like I said, I have an answer for both. So in this old Saxon ritual that I was talking about, I speak in old Saxon, obviously, and I'm doing these ritual acts. Um, but I also have this, this role for someone else who is sort of like an ambassador. So you could think about this too in your own ritual practice, you know, if you'd like, but basically what's happening is that I am acting like the speaker of old Saxon to these, these people, right? This, this tribe. And then the ambassador then translates it. So you have both verses going at the same time. So everyone understands everything that's going on. So uh, you're I like that. that you have, I like that you have like a, um, yeah, like you say an ambassador. So, you know, um, when you're in that ritual mind state and when you're, you know, addressing the audience that's intended to be addressed uh, in that native language, perhaps, or, or whatever, yeah. they're the, the, the participants, the crowd, you know, the, the folks that are there that maybe don't know it are still able to experience it in their native tongue because of the translator or the person. Yes, and exactly. If I'm saying it in English and then, of course, other I use the term ritual acts, right? Because it's not mm -hmm. just the word which, you know, you have to use for intention and rit ritual purposes. But like, yeah, exactly. Um, so, for example, I'm the only one. Well, I, I was the only one in my hall in California who could read and understand Old Saxon. Um, and of course I created these magical verses in old Saxon. What I mean by magical here is just alliteration, beautiful alliterative poetry. And they were like, well, how the hell do we know what you're saying? And it's, that's when I kind of came up with the ambassador role. I was like, okay, well, let's just do it like this then. So that way everybody's equally involved. Everybody's getting something out of it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that, you know, cause maybe, cause I'm sure there's going to be others, uh, that, that are listening and watching that may have a similar dynamic where they sure. have somebody who is focused on the linguistics and that really want to incorporate this, but at the same time, don't want to slight alienate their, their own people. Yeah. Right? Their own yeah. People in their hall or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Totally. And how I would do it too, to be more specific is I would do a verse and a ritual act and then, or just like a verse and then have someone else do the English verse and then one verse, the next verse, and then the next verse is in English. So it's just, it's not the whole text. 
and then the whole thing is you know translation it's this like i said ambassador so it's just yeah. almost like translating yeah they're doing it almost in like as close to real time as possible yeah and we mm -hmm. see that too i mean like the you know music and and, and other forms of uh of communication where you know uh, i've seen concerts where like even the deaf can be a part of the experience because they oh, have absolutely. sign yeah. interpreters you know there that are that are sharing that too so i like that having that ambassador role mm -hmm. um for the group that, that that's really uh i think that's check useful. it out let me know how yeah. it works for you yeah yeah, yeah. definitely um well, this has been great, Scott. I'm uh, I'm really happy that we got a chance to to dive into some of these these things, and I hope the people that are on your side, you know, the 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 folks that you brought um, your your supporters um, sure. here for the first time, maybe found some value to it and enjoyed it. And if they yeah, did, please. So, um, if anyone's here from my channel, please subscribe to Jesse channel Jesse's channel here on Midgard Musings. Um, he's got great stuff. So, <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that, and then likewise, you know, for those that are here. Um, all of Scott's stuff is is going to be linked down in the uh, description and show notes. So he does have the Daily Havamal, uh Facebook page, which I think is more focused on literally what that means. It's, you know, verses from the yeah. Havamal in, in, in Carolyn, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Carolyn Larrington. And Larrington. I've been extending it more to just like the poetic out of verses, but it started off with Havamal. But yeah, same idea. Yeah. Um, so he's got really good stuff there. Um, it's on Facebook. And then he's also got his YouTube channel. Uh, where you go more into the uh, um, the linguistic side of things, but it's, some of the also, academic. it is more yeah. academic. Yeah, yeah. But I like your approach to it because there, there, there's some there's some good stuff on your channel that leans more into the the practitioner side of things. I like your I love your video on uh, oaths. Um, oh, yeah. The the rune stuff, you know, like I mean, yeah. that's Thanks, uh, yeah. That, the oath is a big one for me. It's uh, Same that's here. that's probably an, another video for us down the road. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would love to. I would love to get to to talk to you more about some of that side of stuff too, if you're willing uh, to ever yeah. come back. I mean, on, can... Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, the oath is is uh, if you here, I'll, I'll leave you with this cliffhanger um, in your audience. The oath is so important that the oath was held higher than blood ties. So, and that's seen in the Hildebrandt's lead. Mm -hmm. So, I'll leave you with that. But it's a it's a war where a family member has to kill another family member because of an oath. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> I would love to get more into that. I've done podcasts about O's. I know you did that video. I so, people you know. lead. I meant Hildebrandt's lead. Sorry. <laughs> well, this has been awesome, man. Um, and for everybody listening and watching, we're going to leave you with um, something special. As everybody who follows my stuff knows, um, I always give a plug at the end, you know, please check out the description for all the ways that you can support this podcast, um, follow, like, share, subscribe, you know, do all of those things that the fickle algorithm God so ungraciously demand. Um, but I always, God hates me, man. <laughs> they are, man. They, oh, man. The, the, the bipolar would be an understatement. Um, <laughs> but uh, the last thing that I always sign off with is may the gods continue to notice you and may your ancestors smile upon you. We're going to do something a little bit different today because Scott has been gracious enough to uh, give me something earlier on that doesn't exactly translate to what I just said in English. However, it is a really, uh, really powerful uh, re recitation um, of, of something in, was it Old Saxon? Yeah, it's an Old Saxon. And again, it's just another example of how we can bring this stuff to the present. Right. So it's a reconstruction that I did by using the language. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of a, just a, a, a verse that re resonates with me quite a bit. All right. Well, I will turn it over to you, Scott. Go ahead.
Fackler oder Fackler, so samo so fahrer oder brennet. Samo so macht in die Mähen, in den Modem, uses Kunjes. Brennet Berschligo, in den Barnum, der Führer. So wie Heliat, in den Tessum Hema, use Helido Jesus. A torch to another torch as a token lights, like the might and main in the minds of our kin. Brightly within the barns burns this fire as we heal in this home our heroes' spirits. It's beautiful, powerful. I, I love it. And, and thank you for sharing that with everybody here. Um, you, guys have saw, you, guys, you guys heard it. You guys saw it. So for those that maybe... Uh, are more of a visual type person, you know, you, you've got the, the, the words on screen here. Um, and definitely be sure to check out again, uh, all of Scott's uh, content um, and, and follow along with him. And, and uh, Scott, anything else that you've got going on that you want to share or plug with the people? Today? Um, just keep them busy, man. <laughs> That's about it. But no, uh, I do. I have, it's been about a month since I put a video out and it's just cause life happens, but just know I'm always active. You know, I'm working on uh, two different publications right now. Um, at least one of them is going to be published in the Futhark journal. So, um, you know, I'm always doing stuff and, uh, and I always try to engage my followers on the community. Yeah. That's another thing for your viewers too. I try to engage, um, my followers on the community uh, banner on YouTube. So we have conversations there. Uh, so definitely check that out because even if I don't post a video for a few weeks or whatever, I'm always posting stuff there to ask you, know, you guys questions. You know, what is it that you want to know or just post random pictures of like runestones and stuff like that. So Excellent. Yeah, I definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled and everybody that's here watching and listening and, and supporting what I do, uh, please do the same for Scott. Give him, uh, give him some of that validation on the socials it's all good stuff so uh thank you all yeah it's great having you on again scott and thank you for everything that you do um academically and and, and sharing some of your behind the scenes stuff you know some of the more practitioner focused areas yeah. the subjective stuff that, that that really hits home for all of us um so it's great that uh, we've got somebody here who is an academic or has academic inclinations but is is willing to divulge and share what, what they're comfortable with on on that plane too so we, we appreciate it of course, you're welcome. All right, well, we will go ahead and sign this off. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in and watching. We'll see you in the next one. All right.